This morning we need to talk about a, a really serious subject. We need to talk about hell. We're going to talk about hell today. Last weekend, an opinion piece written by philosopher and religion scholar David Bentley Hart ran in the New York Times, and it was titled, Why Do People Believe in Hell? And here was the blurb underneath. The idea of eternal damnation is neither biblically, philosophically, nor morally justified. But for many, it retains a psychological allure. The author's eventual conclusion in this short piece is that Christians who believe in hell, meaning for us that place or that realm where those who lived, have lived in sin and rejected God's offer of grace are punished eternally at the end of time, that belief, he says that we believe in that not because of biblical evidence, not because of long-standing Christian teaching, but simply because we want to. Because we want to see our enemies suffer while we are glorified. He says the doctrine of hell is simply not present in the New Testament. And he's not the first to deny the Bible's teaching on hell. A few years ago, a book came out in 2011 to be exact called Love Wins. And it's written by Rob Bell, who at one point in time was a, a very popular figure in conservative Christian evangelicalism. But this book espouses the belief in universalism, which is basically the belief that eventually everybody gets saved. Well, this book didn't go unanswered. The editor-in-chief of that time of Christianity Today wrote this book in the same year in response to Love Wins. It's called God Wins. It is a, the entire book is a rebuttal of what this book says. This book is an attempt to lay out what the Bible actually says, what Christianity has actually taught regarding hell and judgment and the end of time. So this conversation has been going on for a very long time. And even among those who believe in hell, there are many who simply do not want to talk about it. A nearly 30-year-old survey of conservative Christian seminary students revealed that nearly half, 46%, felt that preaching about hell to unbelievers is in poor taste. It's just not a good idea. And I'll admit to you that it makes me uncomfortable. I would, of course, much rather talk about God's love and grace. I don't relish preaching a sermon about judgment and hell. I guess I'm a product of my generation in that way. I even found myself yesterday in speaking to a couple of you saying, well, tomorrow's sermon is about hell and you know, it's not an exciting subject to cover, but it is important because it's in the Bible. I, I, I was giving these caveats. I was preparing people for the message that was on tap for today. I guess I don't like to talk about it either. I guess I'm uncomfortable. But we have got to talk about hell. We've got to. And, of course, we have got to believe 
that it exists. It is simply untrue. As the writer that I mentioned earlier, it is simply untrue to say that the New Testament doesn't talk about hell. Yeah, we might want to talk about God's love and grace more. And you have probably observed that in Christianity in general, the pendulum has swung from a lot of sermons about hell and judgment and and God's wrath to sermons about love and grace and mercy. But here's the bottom line. We cannot fully appreciate God's grace until we understand His judgment. We cannot fully be grateful for His love until we understand His wrath, until we understand where we were headed because of our sin and rebellion. We can't fully appreciate the escape route that God provides through Jesus Christ. And so, for us to fully grasp and be grateful for God's magnificent love and mercy, we've got to talk about hell. We've got to talk about judgment. The sermon today is the consequences of sin. That's our title. Sin is any behavior or or attitude or motivation that misses the mark, that doesn't live up to God's standard for us. When we talk about sin, we're talking about rebellion. We're talking about living outside of God's will. Living in a way that doesn't honor God's perfect purpose for our life. That's sin and there are consequences to remaining in sin. There are devastating consequences of living in sin in this life, and we could spend the whole hour talking about those. And you are well aware of the wreckage that so many people have created for themselves by choosing sinful lifestyles and behaviors, but the most fearsome consequences that we can face because of sin are in the life to come. And that's what we're talking about this morning. I want to remind you, I I need you to know that this is the second sermon in a trilogy. Last week we talked about what is the mission of God. And we talked about how God is on a rescue mission. Well today we're talking about what it is that we need rescuing from. And it's, it's this, it's sin, and it's death, and it is the eternal devastating consequences of sin. So if you haven't heard last week's sermon, you might want to give it a listen. And you also need to come back for next week's sermon when we wrap up this trilogy and we talk about the purpose of Christ. You wouldn't just watch the second installment of a a trilogy of films. You know, you you wouldn't just watch The Empire Strikes Back in the Star Wars trilogy. You wouldn't just watch The Two Towers in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I know those are nerdy examples, but I think... The point is well taken in that if you have three, a trilogy of books or films, you've got to take in all three. It's the same with these sermons. You will not get a complete picture if you are only here for this sermon, if you only hear this sermon. You need to hear last week's, and you really need to hear next week's when we talk about Christ. But again, we cannot be fully grateful for what we receive through Christ until we grasp what we deserve because of sin. And here's what we deserve for our sin. We deserve this. Everlasting separation from the goodness of God. That's what we deserve. And that is such a hard thing for us to to grasp. It's such a hard thing for our world to grasp that that is what we deserve. Because there's so much preaching about 
building up your self-esteem and feeling good about who God made you to be and all the decisions that, that you make in this life. We spend so much time building one another up and, and justifying and rationalizing our behavior and talking about how good we are that when you get to reading the Bible and you learn about this thing called sin and you learn about how it's brought widespread devastation across the earth, and most importantly, it has wrecked our hearts and our lives, and because of it, we are separated from God, and because of our separation from God, we deserve death and destruction and eternal damnation? That is a difficult message for people to hear, but it is one the Bible preaches, and it is one that we must believe. That is what we deserve because of sin. We cannot be in the presence of a holy God because of sin. There is a wall of separation between us and the Almighty, between the love of our Father because of sin. We deserve eternal separation from His goodness because of our sin. And that's what hell is. The Greek word, the most common Greek word, in our New Testament that is translated hell is Gehenna, which was originally a valley outside of Jerusalem where children were sacrificed in pagan rituals. You can read about that in Second Chronicles chapter 28. When God's people left, when they rebelled, against the one true God and began to worship the false gods of their neighbors and they began to be involved in all of these terrible, immoral practices, the worst of which is child sacrifice. It was this, this was the place where they did it. And in time, this became the name of the place of eternal destruction. Gehenna, originally a valley outside Jerusalem, but it's translated hell and Jesus uses this word to speak of that place where sinners go, where there is eternal destruction when this life is over. Matthew chapter 25, verse 46, Jesus is wrapping up, teaching about the last day and about judgment. He's talking about when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, and He talks about the separation uh, of humanity and at the end verse 46 he says these will go away into eternal punishment in that one phrase Jesus reveals to us three important points about hell and this is not the only place we could look at several other places in scripture that remind us of these three truths I want to share with you three important truths about hell this morning number one hell is real it is not just some state of mind, and we certainly shouldn't let our culture define and describe what hell is. We should allow the Scriptures, we should allow the New Testament to do that. We shouldn't let culture turn it into a swear word, to a word that we use in a joking manner. It is no joking matter. Hell is real. It is a real place. It is a real destination, eternal destination for people. It's real, number one. Number two, hell is punishment. That is how it's depicted in the New Testament with words, with descriptions like fire and darkness and weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
And maybe these are just images in an attempt to describe the horrors of hell. But if they are, they are trying to describe an experience that is far worse than those descriptors. It is the experience of being excluded from the presence of God forevermore. The worst, the very worst punishment imaginable is to be excluded from the love and the goodness of God forever. It's punishment. And number three, I just said it, hell is forever. It is everlasting. It is eternal. Jesus makes that clear when He speaks about the judgment and about hell. Eternity is something we can scarcely comprehend. But we ought to try. We ought to try to grasp the notion of eternity. I heard someone say once, imagine stretching a cable from the earth to the moon and charging an an ant to carry every grain of sand from every beach on the face of the earth, from the earth to the moon, one by one. So back and forth, the ant takes a grain of sand, one by one, one at a time, from the earth to the moon. And when that ant has finished his task of transferring every grain of sand from every beach on the face of this earth to the moon, eternity will have only just begun. And one of you said to me this week, you remember a preacher when you were young talking about eternity? And he said, imagine a majestic eagle swooping down over the highest mountain on the face of the earth, Mount Everest, and brushing the top of that mountain with his wing. And imagine that eagle doing that over and over again, just a light brush with the underside of the wing. And when that eagle has worn that majestic mountain down to a valley, eternity will have just begun. Forever is a long time to experience either eternal joy or eternal torment. And some will say, when we talk about hell, so people who live in sin are punished eternally? Is sin really that big a deal? And we spoke to that a little bit earlier. It absolutely is a big deal. And we don't understand the necessity of hell because we don't grasp the severity of sin. Growing in our Christian faith means coming to understand in a deeper way how sin has broken us and separated us from God. It is growing in our understanding of how devastating sin is to make us realize how much we need God and His grace that comes through Jesus Christ. We absolutely deserve to be punished eternally because of our sin. We've got to grasp the severity of our sin so that we can understand the necessity of hell. And somebody might say, but I believe that God is a God of love. I believe He's the God of love. And how could a God of love do such a thing? Well, I believe He's a God of love too. And do you know where we got that idea? We get it from the Bible. There is no other religious text that has anything in it like John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish. 
but have everlasting life. There is no other religion in the world that believes that God created all things from a sense of love and delight. Anytime you hear this notion repeated in our culture, it is because of the Bible's influence. That's what the Bible claims. The Bible and the Bible alone, that God is a God of love. And yet, the same Bible talks about God's judgment. The same Bible that declares God is a God of love also says that He's a just God and He's coming to judge the earth. And so you can't take one and discard the other. And somebody might say, but the way of Jesus was the way of love. Jesus was all about love. Do you know who talked about hell more than anybody else on the pages of the Scriptures? It was Jesus. It was Jesus. And so if you pick one teaching of the Bible about the nature of God, you've got to choose the other. Of course I believe that God is a God of love, but He's also a God of justice and judgment. And somebody might say, but would a God of love send people to hell? I mean, if you're right that God is a God of love, I mean, you agree with me, God is a God of love, would He send people to hell? Well, in a sense, God doesn't send people to hell. He wants all people to be saved. The New Testament tells us this, that He doesn't want anybody to perish. He wants everyone to reach repentance in places like 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 and 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. They remind us that God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's what He wants. It's our decision to reject Him. And He will respect that decision into eternity. He respects us too much to go against our free will, our free agency that He has provided. And if people don't want to enjoy God's love in this life, why would He force them to in the next? And somebody might also say, well, this idea just offends me. I'm just personally offended in the teaching. On, uh, uh, when it comes to the teaching of hell? Well, considering our limitations, shouldn't we expect Christianity to offend us at some point? I mean, if the Christian faith is transcultural truth, then at some point, we are going to be offended. Because our minds are small and our cultural experience is limited. It's going to offend our sensibilities at some point. But being offended is not reason enough to reject the Bible's teaching. Now we may hear many other questions and concerns. You may have many other questions and concerns. And I actually want to invite you back tonight because we're going to keep talking about some of this stuff tonight. We're going to talk about what happens in the life to come and what happens on the judgment day and eternal life and eternal destruction and heaven and hell. We're going to get into more about that tonight. So I would invite you back. But at the end of the day, we have to affirm what the Bible teaches about the eternal state of humanity. And we have to trust that God in His perfect mercy and perfect justice will get it right aren't you glad that you are not the final judge god is and he will not mess it up he will divide rightly humanity into eternally saved and eternally lost and there are only two camps there are only two groups there are only two destinations the new testament forces us to reckon with the reality of hell
There is no getting around it. And when we know about hell, and when we understand what awaits so many in our world, shouldn't we be more eager to share the gospel when we come to understand the horrors of hell? There's an episode of the old show Seinfeld in which Elaine discovers that her boyfriend is a Christian. She's riding in his car and she turns on the radio and it's Christian radio. And every station she turns to, somebody's singing about God or Jesus. He listens to Christian radio, but then when they're together, he nonchalantly makes comments to Elaine about how she's going to hell and he isn't. It's all for laughs. At one point in the episode, she explodes. They have a fight. They have it out. And she says, I want you to listen to her words. If you think I'm going to hell, you should care that I'm going to hell. You should try to save me. And again, this is all written for laughs, but she makes a powerful point. Hell is not something to be casually discussed. If we believe that some might actually be going to hell, shouldn't we care enough to warn them? Shouldn't we care enough to tell them? We should, and we should do so with broken hearts and a quivering voice and tears in our eyes. If we know what awaits so many, shouldn't we be a little more eager? Shouldn't we have a little more drive in sharing the good news of Christ with the world? I've always been moved ever since I heard this quote. I've always been moved by what Charles Spurgeon once wrote. He says, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. If they will perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees. Let no one go there unwarned and unprayed for. If this is the reality for countless souls, shouldn't we care a little bit more? Shouldn't we care at least enough to tell them about Jesus? So that they can escape such a terrible, eternal state? I want to say one more thing about hell. One more sobering thought that comes from our text that was read a few minutes ago. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8. When Paul is talking about when the Lord Jesus shall return, when He is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels, and then in verse 8, in flaming fire. And then listen to what he says. Inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Earlier, he talked about how God is coming back to dole out judgment on those who afflict God's people, on those who persecute or harm God's people. But then when he gets to this verse, he reminds the church and he reminds us that God's wrath is not only stored up for the most egregious sinners, for the terrorists, for those who persecute the church, for the murderers and the unrepentant rapists and the sex traffickers and the child pornographers and all the worst sinners throughout history that we can imagine, Hitler and Saddam Hussein and Osama bin Laden, God's wrath is not only stored up for those people but for those who simply did not obey the gospel. He says it right here. It's, it's in 
clear black and white on, the page of my, on this page in my Bible. Inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God. And listen, on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Maybe you read that and you think, boy, that's harsh. But is it? If you think about it, is there a more grievous sin to be offered God's grace and to say, no thanks? Is there a more egregious sin to come and to sit in these pews every week and to hear about the life-giving, life-saving message of Jesus Christ and to hear that all you need to do is confess His name and repent of your sins and be baptized so that your sins can be forgiven so that you can experience life and not death, peace and not destruction. And you stand there every week and you say to God, no thanks. I'll pass. Is there anything worse than that? To slap God in the face, to spit in his eye, and to say, I'll pass. Those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. I want to implore you today. If you're here and you have resisted the offer of God's grace through Christ repeatedly, resist no more. I want to repeat to you what the prophet Isaiah says. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near from Isaiah chapter 55. That implies that there is coming a day when He cannot be found. When He will not be near. When the window of opportunity has closed, when it, when it is, as we have said, as many have said, everlasting too late. That day is coming, and our time is short. It's running out. Call upon the name of the Lord while He may be found. Listen, I want my name written in the book of life. I want my name on the pages of the book of life, because if it's not, in Revelation chapter 20, verse 15, I read this. If anyone's name is not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Well, I want my name in that book. I want my God to know my name. Because if it's not, there will be hell to pay. But it can be. See, this is, this is the good news of the gospel. It can be. It can be in the book. And what you need to do for it to be in the book is say, I need you to save me, God, through Jesus. And when you do that, your judge also becomes your Savior. And you'll not only be standing at the end of time before the judge, but before the one who died in your stead to set you free from sin and the devastating consequences that you face because of sin. You stand before your Savior. And you can come, you can come right now and choose to stand on that day not before just a judge but before your Savior. You can choose right now to come and to have your name written in the book of life. Is your name in the book? Why don't you be sure this morning by coming right now as we stand and sing.